thing on? Cool. Hey, everybody. My name is Rick Rhodes, and uh, I'm a leader at Coring House Group. So if this is your first time here, or if this is your first time at House Group Celebration, I would encourage you to get a Connect card from the seat back in front of you, and then fill it out, and then turn it in. Cool. So without further ado, we're going to go ahead and get started. I'm going to welcome uh, one of my dear friends. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm not allowed to say her name. But go ahead, go ahead and come up here from the Forest Park House Group and give her a warm welcome uh, as she comes up. Hi, everyone. My name's Mara, and I'm a Bible study leader for the Forest House Group, Forest Park House Group. So I'm excited to share with you today just a cool experience that I've had. And just to give you a little backstory. So I was raised Catholic, and then I went to Xavier, which you may know is a Catholic university. And I met one of my good friends there. So I decided to invite him to house group. And I was a little nervous for him to come just because our worship style is a lot more free. We're just like, we love Jesus, you know, hands in the air. And I remember that was a little overwhelming for me the first time I went. So anyway, during the night, we do something called ministry time where we just kind of listen to see what God's putting on our heart and um, just pray for people. So during that time, he got a lot of prophetic words and just I could tell because I, I know him and I could tell that it resonated with him. And it was just really exciting for me to see how God was just pouring his love out in just a new way, in a way that, you know, we might, he might not have been used to. And then at the end of the night, I was like, so what'd you think? And he was like, that was amazing. And I definitely want to come back. And the next Thursday he said, I don't think I'm going to make it. I just got off work. And I'm like, that's okay. People come late all the time. So come over whenever. So an hour and a half later he comes and I was super excited. So uh, I asked him at the end of the night, I'm like, so what do you think? And he's like, well, even though I was only here for part of the night, it was still amazing. And I just really can tell that it's working for me and I'm just really benefiting from it. So I just feel like that's a huge testament to what house group is. We're all about loving people, where you're at, where you come from. And we're just, it's all about sharing Jesus's love. And that's one of the best things, one of the best gifts anyone could have. So I'm just blessed to be a part of it. No, thanks. Thanks, buddy. Cool. Thanks, Mara. All right. Now we're going to welcome our other uh, Corian house group leader. Let's give him a warm round of applause. Hello, my name is Lucas Turnbow, and I'm really loud. Um, I am a leader at uh, house team leader at the Coleraine House, and uh, I'm just going to share a story about like a power evangelism event that we did one Friday night with a couple of my friends. So one Friday night, we decided to go out and minister to some people at the mall, and on our way in, we encountered these two like teenagers at the door, and my friend was like, "Hey, let's go pray for them." I'm like, "Okay." So we went and prayed for them, and uh, it, was, it went really well. The, the boy was really receptive, and he, you know, things went really good. So we thought that was the end. So we decided to go inside the mall and pray for more people. Once we got inside the mall, we, we encountered another couple, and we started praying for them. And, you know, I'm kind of a watcher, so, like, I'll pray, and then I'll just kind of look around and see what's going on. And I noticed that that same guy was, like, following us and waiting for us to finish praying because he wanted something. So I was like, okay, well, I'll just go see what he wants. So I leave that prayer session, and I go talk to this dude. And I'm like, is everything okay? You know, what, do you need anything else? And he's like, well, yeah, my friend is homeless, and he lost his job, and he got in a car accident, and he really needs help. And I was just wondering if you guys could talk to him. And I'm like, okay, yeah. So I was like, take me to him. I'll, I'll go right now. So 
We start walking, and like as I'm like following this guy, I see his group of friends. He's got like 15 plus friends. Like they're all in the food court, just sitting talking, and I'm getting kind of nervous. I'm like, Lord, just do what you're gonna do. And so when, when I get to there, get to them, I see the homeless guy, and we sit down and we start talking. He shares with me his life story, and you know, I really felt like um, the Holy Spirit was implying to me just to tell him about Christ in that moment. So. I started telling him about Christ, and lo and behold, both him and the homeless guy are his friend. I mean, both of the dudes decided to accept Jesus in that moment. So it was totally God, and I was like, yeah. So, the end. Thank you. <laughs> All right, I got one more announcement, and then we'll go ahead and get started. So, where is Sarah Hopkins at? Can you please stand up for me? There she is, right in the corner over there. So... Sarah is going to have an operation soon. Uh, She actually has a neurological disorder where pain receptors get triggered at just weird moments of time. So she's just always flooded with pain at different times. And she has to raise, unfortunately, her insurance won't cover it. It's like $50,000, I believe. So tonight, we're holding a chili cook-off in the atrium. So when we're done worshiping and the service is over, please make your way out there and just do like a small donation. You'll receive a bowl of chili and stuff like that. Cool. Cool. Awesome. So, ushers, you can go ahead and come forward, and then I'll go ahead and pray us in for tonight. Oh, shoot, I forgot. We're going to watch a short video after the ushers come forward, and then our lovely Luke Hazelmeyer is going to do a a teaching for us all. All right, Dad. So, we love you so much, and we just pray that you flood this place, and Holy Spirit, we just invite you here. In Jesus' name, amen. Kind of blurry. That's better. Question. What kind of bear is best? That's a ridiculous question. False. Black bear. Well, that's debatable. There are basically two schools of thought. Fact. Bears eat beets. Bears. Beets. Battlestar Galactica. Bears do not... What is going on? What are you doing? Last week, I was in a drugstore, and I saw these glasses. Uh, $4. And it only cost me $7 to recreate the rest of the ensemble, and that's a grand total of... $11. You know what? Imitation is the most sincere form of flattery, so I thank you. Identity theft is not a joke, Jim. Millions of families suffer every year. Michael! Oh, that's funny. Michael! Hey, what's up, everybody? I love that clip. Y'all know, you want something cool that I figured out as I was sitting there? It's House Group Celebration's one-year anniversary tonight. (laughs) Yeah. Isn't that weird? I, like, wasn't thinking about that at all. Like, a year ago today is... Not today. A year ago... Yesterday is when we uh, had our Forest Park House Group start. It's when we had our first multiplication. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. So I'll tell you why I put that clip up later. But I also might forget. And if I do, it's not really that big of a deal. Because I just like to laugh before I come up here. And I like office. I like the office a lot. Um, so I want to talk a little bit 
about some stuff. One thing I want to start with is this. How many of you know that when Jesus died on the cross for us, he granted us the ability to live completely free from insecurity? We don't have to feel insecure ever because of Jesus. That's a truth. And man, insecurity can be a really ugly thing sometimes. What's really crazy about insecurity is that you'll be like in your normal, joyful, peaceful, clear thinking self. And then for me, something will happen or something will be said and I'll be like triggered into this completely different person acting in ways I never act, thinking in ways I never think simply because I'm feeling that insecurity. You know, when we feel insecure, it's kind of like we go into survival mode and we have to do everything we can to get back into our, to regain our sense of security. And Jesus died so we don't have to live that way anymore. And that's pretty cool. And my favorite verse, a verse I want to focus on right now, I'm going to focus on a lot more tomorrow. It comes out of Galatians 5. We could get that up. Galatians 5, 1 says this, For freedom, Christ, to set us free, stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. For freedom, Christ has set us free. You know, Paul was most certainly referencing an ancient Jewish concept when he quoted this. Do you all remember the story of the Hebrew people coming out of Egypt? You know how they came out of Egypt and were free from 400 years of bondage and slavery? And what did they start doing? They started saying, we want to go back. We want to eat meat again. We want to have houses again. We want to have a city again. We want to have a king again. We want to go back into Egypt. Can you imagine God freeing his people from Egypt, going through all the lengths that he did out of love for them, and then they want to go back right into that slavery? For freedom, Christ has set us free. And that applies just as much to us today as it applied to anyone else ever. Jesus didn't free us from sin and insecurity and death and all of those things that come from the kingdom of darkness so that we could resubmit to them again afterwards. He freed us so we could actually be free. So what does it look like then to submit again to a yoke of slavery as that verse set up there? Um, I think it looks like this. Man... I would be joyful and happy and content if I just had my relationship with God and, let's say, a great career. Whatever your and is, is the yoke of slavery that you're, that you're, uh, that you're re-accepting after Christ has set you free. Man, I would be so content and full of life if I just had my relationship with God and a relationship, like a dating relationship with somebody else. Or man, I would be, I would just be awesome if I had my relationship with God and a little bit more money. Y'all see that? When we have an and, that is what, that is our yoke of slavery that we are re-putting on ourselves. It's like Jesus unlocked the jail cell and pulled us out. And then we walk back in and shut the door and lock it and throw away the key. Whatever, your, whatever our and is, 
if I just had Jesus and I knew that my theology was correct. If I just had Jesus and I knew what my purpose was for my life. You know, of course, as Christians, we all have a general purpose, you know, to make disciples, love God with all our heart, love people. But sometimes we kind of want that more specific thing, right? Like, what am I going to be doing with my life? How am I going to be serving the kingdom? Do y'all know what I'm talking about? When that can be a yoke of slavery, when we just say, man, I would be satisfied. I'd be content. I'd be secure if I just had Jesus and that. Whatever your and is, whatever my and is, that is where I'm re-enslaving myself. Because the truth is, Jesus is good, really is good enough for everything. You know? Like, he really is, he really can fulfill every single need that we have. Every single one. There's not one need that we could possibly have that anything could fulfill better than Jesus. You know what I mean? That's a good word, isn't it? Yeah. And I think it also shows that when Jesus died on the cross, he made so much more available to us than we lay hold of. You know? Like when Jesus died on the cross, we probably access, I would say, about one, two, three, four, myself at least, 5% of what he actually gave for us. The amount of peace, the amount of joy, the amount of blessings. All of that that we received that was made available to us when Jesus died on the cross, I think that we can keep pressing into that. And I think we cannot get satisfied with that. So um, I want to focus in on one and, and it's an and that is especially relevant for young adults. A couple of you know what I'm already talking about, but I want to focus in on relationships, specifically on dating relationships. And I want to talk about how we can approach these in a way that is awesome and healthy and good and isn't ensla- and is not something that becomes a yoke of slavery, not something that we're putting our security in. Okay. So, um, if you're in the room and you're married, I hope that you get something good out of this. You can, uh, pray while I'm talking and pray that what I say, yeah, you can hopefully. Okay. <laughs> I, Holy Spirit can speak through anything, you know. In the Bible, you know the Holy Spirit actually speaks through a donkey, like, like fluent Hebrew. So if, if the Holy Spirit can do that, he can speak to you through this. Let me pray. Jesus, please help my jokes. <laughs> Lord, we love you so much. You are the reason that we're here. You are the most important thing. Jesus... We surrender all to you. We yield all to you. Come and be with us. We love you so much. Amen. So as I said, I want to talk about dating relationships. And um, before that, how many of you have ever heard the phrase before, you are the greatest sign and wonder that God has ever done? Anyone ever heard that before? Kind of the theory of this is if we're thinking, man, what... What could God do that would really rock and rattle the people in Cincinnati? Like, what is one thing that God could do that would get everyone's attention and we'd see thousands of people come into Christ? And some ideas might, well, maybe he uh, splits the Ohio River like he did in the Red Sea, you know? And people are like, whoa, this is crazy. God. Or uh, maybe he calls down fire on Hustler Hollywood or, I don't know, somewhere. But... (laughs) 
you know, we think of stuff like that. We think of like these, these like crazy, extraordinary miracles that happened in the Old Testament or the New Testament, this healing or whatever. But the point of that quote I just said, you are God's greatest sign and wonder is this, that a person who is absolutely surrendered to God and completely and radically in love with Jesus is the greatest sign to this world that could possibly exist, you know? And that's the, that's the quote that I've heard and it's true, but I want to make one addition to it. What I really believe is that the greatest sign that could ever exist, that God could ever give to this city is not just an individual who is radically in love with Jesus, but a community that is. And my dream has always been that house group wouldn't just be another kind of like Christian club or even for Vineyard Church Northwest, but I'm focusing on house group now, just another gathering of believers, but that we would actually be a sign and a wonder to Cincinnati. And the way that we love each other and we love God would be the greatest miracle that occurred in this city ever. That's cool, isn't it? That's what I want. And one way that I want to see that happen is through our dating relationships. What would it be like if house group was known as a community that had the most healthy dating relationships in the whole city? What would that be like? What would it be like if people of all ages were coming to observe the way that we manage dating relationships, the way that we partook in dating relationships? You know, people always say, oh, young adults, they're immature and they don't know how to control themselves and blah, 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 blah. What if we turn that stereotype upside down? What would that be like for our community? That's my heart here. I want to be able to say, house group has the, most health, has the healthiest dating relationships of anyone that I know. And I can say that for a lot of people. That's where I want to go with this. But I wanted to teach on it because... Um, Dating can be like a guessing game for Christians. Y'all know that? Dating can be like, who knows what to do? First off, because there's nothing about it in the Bible. The Bible talks about marriage. says, you know, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. That's in the Bible, but we don't find a whole lot about dating in the Bible. Second thing, there's this big confusion, I think, that happens for Christians when they're dating. I know that I'm not supposed to be dating just for my own pleasure and just for my own comfort. I'm supposed to be dating for the intent of marriage. So what does that look like? Does that mean that two weeks into the relationship, I am saying I'm viewing this person that I'm dating as my wife and just, we got to wait out time now. We kind of got to count down the seconds before we can actually get married. But like, what does it really mean to date with the intent of marriage? Does it mean that a Christian can't date someone if they're not sure they want to marry them? Or does it mean that a Christian has to always be 100% sure that the person they're dating is someone they would marry? Those are kind of the questions I want to address right now. Because dating can oftentimes be a guessing game. And I want to first kind of share a little bit of my own story. Um, another weird fact I haven't dated anybody since the last, my, my last dating relationship ended basically a year ago today, or sorry, three years ago today. So that's another weird little fact. <laughs> Maybe that's uh, God confirming something. I don't know. 
But three years ago, so my last relationship ever ended in May of 2012. I think it was today, either today or the second or the third. Um, and I dated this girl named Chelsea for 14 months. That's my only, that's the only person I've dated as a Christian. Before I was a Christian, I had other relationships, but this is the one that I had as a Christian. And <laughs> I should have known that this was going to be bad from the way this started. Okay, get this. Initially, Chelsea was interested in my roommate and one of my best friends, Jordan Oder. Jordan, if you've heard the worship song, In Your Arms, Jordan Oder and I wrote that together. And so Jordan and I are doormates at Miami. And this one girl named Chelsea starts to become interested in him. And she's coming around our dorm room and they'll, they, you know, they would hang out um, in the room, send the, like cuddle on the futon and watch a movie or one time I walked in and she was like giving him a back massage and he was playing Call of Duty. <laughs> Some of you guys are like, can we get her number after this? <laughs> um, where was I? So that's how I met Chelsea. And you can kind of see where this is going. And so Chelsea started coming around like an hour before Jordan would get out of class to kind of wait for him. And so her and I would hang out in the dorm room together. And we started having conversations. And uh, then one afternoon, we ended up sharing our testimonies with each other. And that's when I kind of first started to feel like, man, I like Chelsea and I wish she was with me. And so over the next two weeks, I ended up convincing Jordan to break up with her. <laughs> I know, I told you. <laughs> Without telling him that I liked her. And then the day after they broke up, her and I started talking. And then I convinced him not to be mad at me and still be my friend. And then we were dating. So there you go. That's how that started. I should have I known from the get-go. Um, two weeks into our relationship, Chelsea and I decided that we were going to get married. No joke. I swear. Two weeks in, we're like, you know, I think I want to marry you. I'm like, I think I want to marry you too. Okay, let's get married. Okay, we got to wait till we're done with college. But we know now. Two months, two months into the relationship, we started like, deciding who we'd invite to our wedding. Now, mind you, we've been dating for two months and I wasn't going to be graduating college for two years. And that's when we thought that we would get married, but we're playing this stuff already, you know? Um, <laughs> that was pretty crazy. Oh yeah. And then we start making kind of like life decisions about, we start making life decisions together. And I'm like, um, thinking about what am I going to do with my career? Do I need to like not pursue ministry? Cause I was feeling a call towards ministry, but I wanted to make enough money and all that stuff. And so I, uh, <laughs> she had a trust fund that had a couple hundred thousand dollars in it. And so I started thinking to myself, man, we could probably just fall back on that. You know, I could actually be rich and a pastor. <laughs> this is going to be great. You know, this is like heaven come to earth. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, so you can see the immaturity here. Um, six months into my into this relationship, Chelsea tells me, "Hey, Luke. Um, whenever you talk about your faith, or when I see you like reading your Bible, it really makes me insecure about my own. And so, could we just like not talk about that anymore? Could that just be like a subject that's off limits? You see, what I found out with Chelsea is that." Although she had a testimony that she could share and she could talk about how much she loved God, it wasn't really ref reflected at all in her life. And when we would go to church, 
Worshiping next to each other was awkward. Talking about anything God-related was awkward. And now we're six months in, and she's telling me, hey, I don't want to talk about faith at all. And this is what I thought. Well, she's going to be my wife. I need to make sure I love her like Christ loved the church. So I'm just going to love her through whatever she's going through. And I'm not going to leave her, and I'm sticking with her. And so then things kind of kept getting worse with that relationship. Um, Physically, it was not according to God's will. Didn't go all the way, but it was not according to God's will. Um, So we're, we're messing up there. And then like 12 months into it, she tells me, Hey, Luke, I I really feel like I want to go out once a week and get drunk with my friends. Um, how do you feel about that? And I'm like, well, you know, I actually don't like that at all. And she's like, well, I'm going to do it anyway. And so then that's going on. Okay. I just got to keep loving her. Got to keep loving her like, like Christ loved the church. And I would have married this girl because from two weeks in, I had it programmed in my brain. This is my life partner. This is the person that I'm marrying. And I thank God that 14 months in, she actually ended up losing feelings for me. And she broke up with me. And it was extremely hard. I thought about her every single day. I mean, you all know how heartbreak works. Um, for seven months. But I really view it as, as God's grace that she did that. Because I would have stuck with her until the end. I never would have left her. And so... Um, Dating can be really confusing for Christians, especially for young adult Christians, especially for those who are in college. There's so many variables that can make this stuff complicated. And what I, my heart is that we are, that we have the healthiest dating relationships around. That's my heart. And so I want to show you an illustration that I learned um, that I think it kind of helps outline what is that what are some healthy perspectives for Christian dating? So we, if we, and uh, before we put that up there, um, that's the purpose of it. And the issue that I really want to focus in on is that should Christians view the person they're dating as their life partner before they actually get married? Like it's one thing to like think about marriage and be like, okay, this is something that we want to plan for and eventually step into. But it's another thing to think about the person as your spouse before you're actually married. Because that's what I did. And so I, I want to talk about that and address that issue. Is that something that Christians should do? And that's kind of the main thrust of this illustration. So since we're comparing marriage and dating, what I first want to do is talk about um, the purpose of marriage. So if we could put that first slide up there. If any of you were here in January when I taught, it was both on Saturday and Sunday morning, I uh, focused in on... Uh, I taught on a, this, a triangle, much like this one. And the triangle basically outlines the three pillars of Christian faith. So you have, um, at the top, intimacy with Christ, Christian community, and then evangelism. And I think the same triangle works well for what a biblical definition of the purpose of marriage is. That the, the first thing that a married couple should be focused in on is growing in maturity and intimacy with God through their relationship. Second thing is that they should be loving each other in a, in a godly, in a biblical way. They should be gl- growing together. And then third, they should be fulfilling God's mission for their marriage. Jesus, or God gave Adam and Eve a mission. He said, he said be fruitful and multiply. And I believe that um, 
that every partnership, every life partnership in marriage, not only are they called to love each other and love God, but they're called to perform a kingdom mission here on the earth together that only they could do, that no other two people could do. So that's the purpose of marriage. Um, Let's transition now into this next uh, scripture. So what's really cool about um, the way God designed marriage is that he literally designed marriage in such a way so that it could actually fulfill those three purposes. Like he was very intentional about that. And uh, the way that happens is through, it's like, it's through this unification process that occurs on multiple levels. And so what I first want to do is look at um, this verse that Van quoted last Sunday, if you go to church here. If not, this will be your first time. But here we go. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The key phrase there is, may your spirit and soul and body. What Paul shows us here is that every person is three parts, body, soul, and spirit. I think we all knew um, about body and spirit. Soul is the one that was confusing for me a lot. I used to think of soul and spirit as the same thing. But the way that I'm defining soul here, as you can see, actually, can you go to the next slide? The way I'm defining soul here is mind, will, and emotions. So you have your body, you have your mind and will and emotions, and you have your spirit. Everyone has three parts. And what happens in marriage is that there's actually this really cool unification that occurs between all three of these things. So if we go to the next slide, when a couple gets married, there is this unification that happens on a physical level, physical intimacy. There is a unification that happens at a soul level mind, will, and emotions. And thirdly, there's this unification of spirit. I'm not going to go into, but if you read Ephesians 5, Paul talks about how, and and, and in Genesis, many other places in the Bible, how a a, a man will leave his father and mother to be married, and the two will become one spirit. So when a couple is married, at consummation, the two become one spirit in God's eyes. And that's a really powerful spiritual, uh, spiritual reality that the couple gets to draw from as they live. So this is the uh, process that God designed to give married couples success in um, achieving their purpose, in achieving growing in intimacy and maturity with God together, in loving each other, and fulfilling God's mission. So this is what marriage looks like. Um, now I want to talk a little bit about dating. So if we go to the next one in a dating relationship, again, you have a guy and a girl and you have body, soul, and spirit. And the question is, what should unification look like for a dating relationship? I think just about everybody knows that most people in this room would know that the Bible outlines boundaries physically until marriage and that dating couples should not be having sex. So there shouldn't be that bodily unification. I think we all know that. And if there isn't that, then a spiritual unification doesn't come. And if it does, then it's actually a bad thing. It's a spiritual connection outside of the will of God 
which God doesn't use that. It's going to be the other kingdom that uses that one. Um, so body and spirit, I think we can all agree, but what about mind, will, and emotions? Should a couple that is dating be intertwined in their mind and in their will and in their emotions? And what does that mean? Well, I think what it means is that the person that you're dating is on your, is on your mind more than anyone else. And the person that you're dating has influence over your will more than anyone else. And influence over your emotions more than anybody else. I think that's what it means to be intertwined at a soul level. And if you go to the next slide, this is totally where I was when I was dating Chelsea. We weren't physically united. We weren't spiritually united. But we were united at a soul level for sure. She was the number one human being on my mind at all times. She was the number one person who had influence over my will, influence over my emotions. We had this unification of souls. And what was really kind of tough for us was that we were trying from this one-third unification place to fulfill the purpose of marriage. Like I would have told you, yeah, our relationship exists so that we can love God together and grow in our relationship with God so that we can love each other. I don't think I would have said anything about a mission because I didn't understand it at that point. But I definitely said those first two. We were trying as a dating couple to fulfill God's purposes for marriage with only one third of the design that he offered us. Y'all see that? And it was no wonder that it didn't work out for us. And honestly, I can say that I've observed a lot of Christian couples over the years that have tried to do this very thing. Have tried to go from this like weak, not fully united version of a relationship, tried to use that to fulfill God's purposes for marriage before they were actually even married. And I'm convinced this model does not work. I'm convinced that this model really causes a lot of stress and pain and hurt on the people involved. And if it eventually works out, it was a really tough road getting there. I've seen a lot of Christians fall into apathy and indifference in their faith through something like this. So we're going to go to the next slide in a second. And I want to show you what I think is a healthy approach for a couple that is dating. I don't think this works. You can try it if you want. I don't think it works well. Let's go to the next one. So I'm really convinced these dotted lines here, they represent boundaries. And I'm really convinced that Christian couples that are dating, not only should they have boundaries physically for themselves, we all understand that, but they should have boundaries emotionally for themselves too. And I think the greatest emotional boundary that a Christian couple that is dating can have is that the person you're dating is not yet your husband or your wife. For me, I started viewing Chelsea as my wife two weeks in. And really that perspective in and of itself is what sent me down a really dark, bad road throughout our relationship. I'm really convinced that we don't need to look at the person that we're dating as our spouse. 
before it actually happens, before we actually get married, to have a relationship that is honoring God. And, and that is heading towards marriage. We can do both. We can be planning for marriage, but not viewing them as our spouse. That's the best boundary. I think we should have boundaries on our mind and our will and our emotions too, so that our souls don't get intertwined. And I think what that looks like is this. For our mind, I think that we should, well, this is just what I was talking about, that we shouldn't view them as our life partner before it actually is a reality. Here's why. When I viewed Chelsea as my life partner before we were actually married, anything that God would have said to me that contradicted that internal belief I had, I would have attributed to Satan. Y'all see that? If God would have, if I really believed that she was my life partner before we were married and God spoke to me something like, Hey, you should probably spend a little less time with her. I would think, well, why would I spend less, less time with someone that I'm going to be with forever? We need to be growing a relationship at all times. That's from Satan. Or if God spoke to me something like, Hey, you know, I think you should pull back on the emotional intimacy a little bit, get there a little more gradually. I would have thought, why would I pull back on emotional intimacy with somebody who I'm going to be with forever. In fact, we should be pushing further into that. That's from Satan. You see, when we decide in our hearts that the, when I decided in my heart that she was the person I was going to marry before it actually happened, I closed myself off to the voice of God. Not only in my own prayer time, in my own Bible reading, but also from other people too. We should protect our minds. We should protect our wills too. I don't think that the person that you're, that I did, when I was dating Chelsea, she had more control over, she had more influence on the will over my will for things than anybody else. And same went for her. And I think what a good fix for this, a good boundary for this is that I wish I would have had somebody who had more of a say in whether I continue to date her or not than her. And I wish that he, she had somebody who had more of a say in whether we should keep dating than me. And I think having that one go-to person where it's like, you know, I'm not going to hold back anything from them. I'm going to share with them everything. And if they give me advice, I'm going to go with their advice over what the person I'm dating is saying. I think it's healthy for everyone to have that. Third, we need to have boundaries emotionally too. So we're not getting intertwined at a soul level. You know, I used to think, man, if Chelsea were to break up with me, I would be an emotional wreck. Like I would be wrecked emotionally if she were to break up with me. And I was thinking back on that and I'm like, really? I have the God of the universe who paid the ultimate price for me, who is filling me with joy and peace and life and purpose who has given me every good thing I have in my life with me at all times, never distant. And I would be an emotional wreck if this person broke up with me. I wish I would have had boundaries on myself emotionally too. Here's what I want to end with. I want to quote you a scripture from Philippians 3. In Philippians 3, Paul is reflecting on all the good things that he thought he had before Christ. 
And he says this, yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And I don't think the purpose of that verse is, you know, once we have Jesus, we need to view everything else in our life as like crap or as like evil, you know, like, oh, now I've got Jesus. So I'm going to go hate my parents and hate my siblings and hate my friends and hate video games or hate settlers of Catan, (laughs) hate skyline. No, couldn't do that one. You know, that's not what it means. But what I think it means is this, that our, the love and peace and joy we get from Jesus should be incomparable to anything else. That the excitement that I may get from dating somebody doesn't compare to the excitement that I get from Jesus. And the excitement and the, uh, the passion that I have for someone that I'm dating doesn't compare to the passion that I have for Jesus. And I think that if we just keep that at the forefront, that Jesus is so good Other things are good too, but they don't even compare to him. I think every couple in this room that is dating is going to be just fine. And I think that those boundaries emotionally are going to be set up. And I really believe that house group is going to be known as a community with the healthiest relationships, dating relationships around. In fact, Lord, I just bless that on every person in this room right now in Jesus' name. I thank you, Father, that you are raising us up to be a people who love each other in all respects through all kinds of relationships in such a way that is assigned to this city. Thank you, Jesus. We're ready to be used by you, God. We love you so much. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. And my heart for this message wasn't to discourage any couple in here that's dating. It really wasn't. I uh, will admit that there have been times, you know, being in young adults ministry where I've been like, man, this couple is irritating me. (laughs) Honest confessions. But, and I, you know, I could have probably went at this message at at a place from, oh, I just need to, we need to get people to break up. But that, I promise you that wasn't it. I promise you that I feel like God's heart for us as a community in this area is so strong and he is ready to pour out favor and grace and healing and love on all of our relationships. So as we worship, let's just step into that and accept that because it's ready to be here with us right now. Okay. Awesome. Let's all stand. Come to the front for worship.